Welcome to another episode of Cases for Freedom. I'm your host, Trevor Spencer, and today we are going to be talking about uh, transcending duality in Ende's Christian thought. Uh, so for this episode, um, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty common in Christianity to have uh, a view of um, Ende's, you know, end of times prophecies, whatever you want to call them, but getting an understanding of the end days timeline, or at least some of the archetypes that are in this, uh, that are found in, you know, the book of revelation, um, and other sources as well. Um, but you know, to, to transcend the duality that is often found in that theological perspective on both Christ and what it means to be, you know, our relationship with Christ, uh, you know, that, uh, if you compare the Sermon on the Mound to uh, the image of, uh, you know, Michael and his angels um, without, uh, you know, kind of taking a, a magnifying glass and getting to know some of these end days, um, end days prophecies, then it can be a little, uh, there can be some kind of two images of God in there a little bit. Um, if, if you just read it, uh, it, as the end days, you know, why is there, why is God, you know, so much more wrathful or, um, you know, he's, you know, waging war, Christ is the Prince of Peace. How does that work? Um, so it's, there's a lot there. So in order to, in order to kind of, uh, I'll, I'll use the word transcend or understand or bring unity to these dual images uh, of God that is, or at least divinity or, uh, you know, one, at least unlikened one likened to the son of man, whether you believe that's Jesus or, uh, you know, a joint heir in Christ, however you see it, but you know, these two images of God. So transcending that, uh, duality in Christian thought in end days, Christian thought, um, requires two different things. So number one, it's redefining the end days warfare. Um, so taking a, a look at what, uh, what is meant when it says, you know, Michael and his angels will come and wage, you know, uh, wage war. And then the other component of transcending uh, this duality and which will ultimately bring us closer to God um, will uh, demystify or is uh, demystifying the tactics of war uh, that will be that we will see and that we do see here in in this end times, uh, at least archetypally or um metaphorically uh or energetically here spiritually so there's there's both the the micro level and then the macro level as well uh in the book of revelation um so to do both of those things here it's important to kind of set the stage uh so to set the stage i'm going to read uh from the book of revelation chapter 12 and just read some of the first few uh verses in there all right, so to set the stage, I'll go ahead and read uh, the first 11 verses of Revelation 12, because um, this is where it kind of outlines the war, who's involved with the war in the end days, what the war is. Um, it will dive into it after I kind of at least get the picture here. So um, I'll just start off. It says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, 
and seven crowns upon his heads. <clears throat> and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up upon God, unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her for a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought against his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation, and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the power of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they, and they loved not their lives unto the death. So there we have uh, you know, a, pretty, a pretty intense scene uh, playing out here that John is beholding. Um, and it's important to, uh, to notice a few things in here for the, the purpose of this uh, conversation um, around trans transcending duality here. Um, so for starters, you see a woman uh, who is with child and she is, um, you know, being confronted. Uh, she has she has a, a crown of stars, uh, 12 stars and uh, lot of, lots of symbolism in the book of Revelation. Um, and she is being confronted and attacked by or, you know, uh, she's being hunted by this <clears throat> by this dragon uh, this dragon who wants to consume her child. Um, so again, when you look at uh, some of the symbolism here, the dragon has seven heads uh, and um, is obviously a dragon that is not uh, a kind dragon or a good dragon. It's trying to devour uh, this woman, the woman's child here. Um, and so, you know, metaphorically or symbolically, there's a lot of different takes on what this all means. Uh, but for this, for the sake of this conversation, I'm going to point out a couple of things here. So one, I, I think it's important to focus on what the dragon means first and the dragon uh, being seven heads um, and having 10, 10 horns on those seven heads and then having uh, 10 crowns or sorry, seven crowns. It's you're, you're seeing that these are uh, you're facing, basically you're facing up against uh, macro level energetic evil uh that is unified um and is corrupt in the sense that it wants to devour this this woman's child and it has this uh demeanor and i think the number seven is really important as well for that the seven heads to look at because this is the negative representation of the seven of the number seven in the book of revelation which has uh Earlier in earlier chapters leading up to this, uh, John is uh, he is shown 
a, a vision where he uh, beholds one likened to the Son of Man, uh, I believe in chapter one of Book of Revelation, and then he is shown many different things uh, for seven uh, different uh, churches and angels. Um, and so throughout the book of Revelation, the number seven is pretty important here. Um, and so leading up to verse 12, I didn't want to read the first 12 chapters on this episode because it'd be a lot, but leading up to uh, chapter 12, you John is shown, he is uh, he, he has a revelation or a vision open to him. And that revelation, that vision here that we are seeing in the it, that goes through the messages that John is to give to these seven angels that are managers or over or they are in charge of these seven churches uh, in God's kingdom. So leading up to this, we are shown the good representation of seven. And it's important to to know that that is where, in my opinion, the warfare is actually taking place here. Um, so John is basically has a vision where he's entranced with uh, revelation from God that he is seeing and able to able to record. And so uh, while he's getting these messages, you can imagine that he's actually he's being tuned as well. Right. It's the message isn't just the church is going to hear it. The message is John is taking this message as a representative of Christ and he is supposed to give that message to these churches. So um, in a sense, John has seven different macro level energetic uh, experiences with these seven angels and churches that are they're, they're doing something. These churches are real. They're real energy. They're real, you know, spirit. Um, and so and people. So in, in a sense, you have this understanding that John has shown the goodness of the world he has shown and he is he's also in he's internalizing these things so you know you could you could make the argument that this is john has some sort of a baptism of fire moment here where in baptism of the holy ghost where he is being shown uh what to do and what you know what is good and what is it's like a, it's a council it's a council with god he's having a uh, in the first, you know, chapters leading up to chapter 12 with the seven angels, he's being shown what is what is going right and what needs to be corrected in order for the kingdom of God to prevail in uh, on the earth. So John, he's being shown, I you know, I use the word chakras likely or lightly, but they're energetic, they're real energetic principles that we are supposed to embody as the body of Christ. And so, therefore, um, John is shown those energetic principles by being taught what messages need to go to the macro level, not the internal micro level as an individual, but the kingdom of God is both inside of us and it is outside of us as well. So, John is, he has these seven energetic principles fine-tuned, and then after those energetic principles are fine-tuned, from his internalization of the messages to these seven angels in this revelation. So he is now tuned to be able to understand. And then shortly after that, we see, uh, we see the kind of the counterpart of that. And we see uh, a woman who is with child um, being attacked by 
or being hunted down by a uh, essentially the counter opposite or the seven energetic the the downside of it right the seven deadly set it's the seven deadly sins as opposed to uh you know the the seven no hide laws right and being able to look at those energetic principles and understand that there's both it there's uh beings that keep those principles and that maintain the that those seven un, that you know those that law um and keep themselves tuned to the frequency of god as a being um, by living, you know, those commands or whatever you want to call them. And then there's a, a kingdom, uh, a pretty big kingdom, bigger, um, you know, bigger, I believe it's the bigger kingdom here in this, in this uh, story here, the one third versus two thirds. And so regardless of that, it's, it's a big kingdom. And so the, the seven headed, uh, the seven headed dragon is the representation of the, opposition to all goodness in the third dimension that does take place no matter whether you pay attention to it or not it's there and so uh we are shown that john has this this understanding this revelation then he is shown um he's shown a woman who whose child is is christ this child is a man child who's supposed to rule the nations um it's a very important child in this in this revelation so in this vision so you know you can you can you can try to correlate this to times to things in john's life and there's truth there when he was on you know when he lived like that was there was stuff there uh that he saw i don't i'm not going to make truth claims on who exactly this woman is like in what time frame she represents the virgin the the church right she represents the mother of the church she is the mother of the church um However, regardless, the, the point here in making is that Michael, the end of this scene is that Michael and his, there's a sifting that takes place, right? Michael and his angels, they come down and the key word uh, to, you know, to go back to, you know, defining our, the kind of first principle here. And then we're talking about the tactics intertwined here as well, but to go back to defining or redefining warfare um, you know, it's Michael and his angels come down and there's a word that depending on how the, how the Bible has been translated from the original kind of Greek, I guess, is, uh, the word is either translated to against or the word is translated to with. So it says Michael and his angels fought either with the dragon or they fought against the dragon. And there, if you go to like Bible.com or any of these other Bible sites and you look at all the different translations, it's split pretty evenly across these different, uh, it's split evenly across these different translations. So meaning the original word is not with or against its other Greek words that mean roughly something around those two words. So my point in saying that is to say that this is where we're able to transcend the duality of this concept that i think a lot of people in christendom have this idea that when christ comes again when michael and his angels come uh in the end days either at a macro level or a personal uh personal level having a, a baptism of fire and having the experience of meeting god um as crazy as that sounds to most 
to some people, but this is this is what John went through. This was his 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 christening, if you will. It's his uh, the second and third baptism. There's one baptism, but there's a baptism of water, baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and so those things. When you have these experiences, uh, my point in saying is that it that's what we're looking at. We are looking at the millennial or the the glorified. Uh, these are glorified beings. These are Christ. These are joint heirs with Christ. And John is becoming, in my opinion, that's what this is. That's what the book of Revelation is. It's, it's a, a, it's a record of John becoming a joint heir with Christ and having uh, his body uh, created uh, and freak, you know, and tuned again to these laws of nature that govern the universe. So that's what we're seeing here is this duet, this, back and forth between the the laws that govern the universe, the seven principles that govern both the macro level and the micro level, and these ideas um, represented in this mathematical format. But these seven principles, you know, those those seven principles are fighting against the, the negative return of those principles in the third dimension. And that's what the seven-headed dragon is. And I don't ask me to name the different kingdoms and the different things, but it's like, that's at a metaphorical level. That's what we're looking at here. And this woman is in the middle of those energies and she's able to escape and, you know, she's able to escape and there was preparation made for this woman. And so then once, once that clears out, then it's Michael and the last battles are Michael and his angels fighting against uh, the serpent, right. Or fighting against the dragon, uh, the, you know, the, the one that was called, the devil from the beginning. And so it's important to represent, to understand that that word can be either with or against. And that means that I think the tactic of the actual tactic of warfare is not uh, how we see it depicted a lot of times with Archangel Michael, who has a sword and he's, you know, beating, he's beating people down or whatever. He's here to, you know, basically cleanse the earth with some like, you know, genocidal war against anyone who doesn't live the law of God. I don't think that's the case. I personally, you could, I mean, don't, you know, don't get upset or whatever, but it's, I personally think that the end days battles are a lot more spiritual that in, and I think that that word is with, not against. I read uh, the King James one at first that says against, but I personally believe that Michael and his angels are coming down. We know from the book of Daniel uh, and the book of Genesis that Michael is the ancient of days. He is Adam. And so that's, that's truth. Um, and so we understand that in the end, even our, even, you know, Michael, who is the ancient of days, who is the father, uh, he is coming back and he will be here to fight with us. He is here to help. Um, cause we, as both having, you know, the natural man and a relationship with God and covenants with Christ, it's, there's still, duality inside of us as a natural man. We know that, that I don't think that ever really goes away as a human. And so, um, to me, the warfare in the end of days is very much, uh, it's very much that it, that Michael and his angels and Christ and joint heirs with Jesus, they are all going to be fighting, uh, tooth and nail to, to try to help liberate God's children before there is no more time allotted to them in if you if you believe in that 
if you believe in these macro level time frames of kind of these sifting points in humanity and history kind of shows that humanity does evolve that way uh if you know if you believe in that concept then there is like kind of a reckoning of time where there's times in society where people are able to get away with pretty horrible things. And then there's times in society where uh, it's more of like a reckoning or a come to Jesus moment for, you know, for us as a, as a, as a people to, um, to, you know, where all of a sudden we wake up and we realize we can no longer live this way. And we see this throughout a bunch of different time periods all throughout human history. So, I believe personally that Michael and his angels are not coming down to kill everyone that is a sinner and to, you know, be that type of judgment. I think it is Michael and his angels are coming down to try to protect everyone. And there will be many who unfortunately choose to not accept God, to not, uh, to not allow God to prevail in their life and therefore uh, will run out the clock, so to speak, against natural law, right? They're not rebel. It's not that God's wrathful and wants to hurt those people who don't live correct according to, you know, Christian thought. It's, it's these people, it's that God loves those people. You know, he comes for those people. He comes for those sinners. That's his main target demographic, as we know from Jesus, you know, and so that's where, I think we're actually, that's what I think we're actually seeing in this end days of warfare is that it's very congruent throughout the teachings and the Sermon on the Mound and Jesus's mortal ministry that are very uh, anti-warfare, if you will. Um, But it's a different tactic of warfare. And so the tactic is trying to help people restore themselves to God with their choices, uh, with their with their agency, right? Using their mortal, their mortal freedom to align with God is the warfare. That's the battlefield. And so that's why we see that seven and seven on both sides of, uh, the, you know, the, the virgin here is, is that there's, uh, or the woman with child, it's, you know, we are seeing the duality in the end times. And we know that according to, uh, a lot of different things that the basically the polarity in our universe is is uh it's at a kind of a climax point here and we feel that in our world until there is this reckoning here right until there's this uh this end days battle which is really a personal relationship battle that we all have to go through and that we experience and so that's really uh, that's really kind of how you transcend the thought process of, you know, making a, in a, making an accounting between the two images of Yeshua as a man and, you know, Christ and his army in the end days, when they come back as angels, they're, they're not coming back, you know, to slap people around. There'll be a few, I mean, there's, there's definitely some people that are, that's a very, very, that's not the majority of that's not what we're talking about. That's a very small percentage if, if at most, you know, and the reckoning is against the law. And again, God is not, God is the law. He made the law, but God is also, uh, God is also uh, Emmanuel and he is here to help. Uh, he has already freed us from, he's fulfilled the law and made it to where if we have a covenant with Jesus, we can thrive. So that covenant is, it's, 
it's still the law, right? It's uh, there's still all of the Old Testament understanding, not to say that we have to live every component of that, but we have to abstract the wisdom of it to truly get a grasp of how we are to inhabit the true kingdom of God, which is shown to us here in the book of Revelation. And then we're also shown the counterpart that we'll be raging against. Again, that duality of the third dimension is unavoidable and that's part of God's genesis. And so therefore, uh, you know, because of that, we are able to see uh, that we're able to to transcend uh, the idea that our neighbor um, who might not live like us, right, you know, who might be different than us or whatever, that somehow in the end days, you know, truth is truth, but we are still supposed to be the warfare tactic we are supposed to employ as disciples of Christ is to love our neighbor. It's to be there with them and to uh, to go to war with them uh, as their as their partner to be able to help because there are many who it says eventually they are cast out, meaning they can't be in the presence of God because they personally choose to not live the way that they would need to to be able to inhabit that type of uh, uh, communal energy with the divine. So that is the tactic in redefining it. The warfare is our souls. The warfare is these are these energetic principles of right and wrong that have been around since the very beginning and will not leave the earth. They don't go away. They're, they're what the earth is built upon. And so therefore, uh, we can either decide to live them or we can decide to not. Uh, destruction that may or may not come from those things, I would choose to live those things personally. That's my own personal decision because I think that's the that's the warfare tactic and that's the battlefield uh, of the end days that we're seeing here play out so and because I'm a Christian um, that's really the end of this but because I'm a Christian you know I say that in the name of Jesus Christ amen